Hi, Jordan. Hi, Mira. <laughs> Hi, I'm Jordan. so excited to talk to you. Uh, the first, I was thinking this morning that the first time we talked and the first time we met, I think, was almost three years ago to the week, I think. Wow, um, really? Yeah, I think it was February 2020. And uh, we met in a studio in Midtown back when we were recording these in person. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, and you were the first person I interviewed for this series. And I was like so excited to be talking to you and so, so nervous to be talking to you because I had loved reading your work. Oh, really? I was like, I never think I make anyone nervous. That's so lovely to hear. I'm going to yeah, I'm gonna I was really feel nervous. great about that. <laughs> yeah, good. I was really nervous until like about 90 seconds in. And then I realized it was just going to be really, really fun. Um, and that was, I mean, the fact that about 90 seconds in, I went from being nervous to being really excited was one of the reasons why you were like our first call when we were thinking about who might be a good candidate to jump in the host seat for a couple of weeks this spring. Um, and in, in honor of that, the fact that you're going to be taking over as host for a little stint, I wanted to check back in about the threshold that we talked about three years ago. We have, yeah. we, get, we have this opportunity to do a longitudinal study. Oh my God. Let's go. Let's go. I'm Jordan Kistner, and you're listening to Thresholds, a weekly series of free-ranging conversations with writers and artists about moments of epiphany or transformation that changed their lives and their work, a moment that they stepped across, like a threshold, into something new, and the way that experience changed everything they wrote afterwards. Immediately, what my mind went to was the fact that my father-in-law has recently died, and the reason it went to that place has a lot to do with the states that I was moving between to make this book. You asked about a threshold. I'm a person who started, I would say for the last probably 12 to 15 years, believing that as part of my interracial marriage, I had been loved and accepted and understood by my family, um, the family I had married into. And what I came to understand after really um, 2012 and ramping up to 2016 was that in that place that I had sort of quietly written a story to myself about my in-laws having some idea of what it was like to be in my body and some idea of what I was up against every day. There is, in fact, the only thing that was there was my wish that they had understood that. And what I mean by that is my in-laws are, um, were, my, my father-in-law was, and my mother-in-law still is, um, an avid Trump supporter this came out over the last election. It's partly what I wrote my book um, to explore. But when you talk about moving from one state to another, I was a person that very much thought I understood what my family was made of and what my family was about. 
And then all the illusions I had about that fell off. And in the place of anything that made sense, there was me with my Sharpie drawing and trying to understand what the hell was happening. You were done with your kind of press cycle around that book when we talked. Yeah. So you were kind of coming off of the mm. most intense mm-hmm. public version of, of that work. Mm-hmm. But now it's been, you're sort of three years past that. Mm-hmm. When you were, you still seemed pretty in the thick of it. And I'm wondering, like, how you, what's changed for you around <sighs> either those feelings with your family or your feelings about having decided to publicly author that part of your life? Yeah. I mean, it's such a good question because I think, I mean, I'll tell you, I've, I've made a hard swing back to fiction. Um, just, just understanding now what it takes to have a memoir in the world, uh, made me really understand that I, I just needed to go back in, um, one of the things that happened with that memoir coming out is you're right that it was the publication cycle was over and I really thought that I was sort of going to go um back back to the life that I knew um where you write a thing you put it out um you you sort of measure how you're doing internally you learn new things about yourself as an artist you go on and um and what ended up happening obviously is the pandemic and in line with that um watching white Americans in as a sort of um I would say that mainly the coast the coastal white Americans understand um something about how whiteness was working that they just hadn't before uh, and they hadn't no matter how many different times we sort of reframed it so I'm talking specifically about the uprisings in June and um and so much of that was obviously um brown and black people standing up and leading movements and and speaking but um but what i had understood before is a kind of immovable resistance to that information and i i thought never in my lifetime will this change that thing started shifting and i don't want to be pollyanna about this and say like and now it's all different because it truly isn't there's so much of it that 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 sort of shifted and it and it went back as it does in these situations but what it meant for me in terms of the book is that um like a lot of people suddenly found it uh in a way that I hadn't counted on them finding it and then the questions that they had became very urgent and then the amount of people that were writing me in any week became a lot um and and it sort of took off it just had a different life which is to say that i spent a lot of time talking to people about their wounds around race and specifically black and brown people that were in families with white members who felt like they were never going to be um fully seen or loved and it was a lot it was a lot it was hard to carry and I think I understood at some point after that second cycle went on, I understood that this might happen perennially, <laughs> um, that people connected to that memoir, you know, in a way that is, um, 
entirely like it's it's lovely and it's also as anyone that puts a a piece of art out into the world knows you can't you can't predict its trajectory so some of the ways in which people connect to it are very personal and often the things that they connect to are very heavy for me to carry and since that time I have wanted to offer myself a little bit of protection from that um, not because I'm not absolutely grateful to have people connect with it but because I don't I don't always know what to do with how much I feel for them I don't always know how to how to put it away. I I kind of love people. <laughs> um I do and I I kind of care a lot and sometimes when people tell me things that are traumatic I will hold on to them for weeks and months um and even years in cases and when it's a deluge of that um it gets hard to it gets hard to be yourself and breathe. Oh, yeah, I feel like that's something that nobody tells you about writing experiences that are difficult. You know, one of the, you, you sit down as a writer and you write about something that's happened to you that's difficult and you do your best to get it right. And then you send it out into the world and what you want is for it to matter to other people. Mm-hmm. And then often, especially if you're speaking about an experience that hasn't been, you know, isn't articulated enough what what comes back is this like wave of people who need to be seen yes and and feel that you've seen them i have like in a really different way a long time ago one of the first sort of reported pieces i ever did um was about um roofing and because mm. i had been I, and like i was trying to figure out what the experience was that i'd had which is that i had been roofied but not otherwise physically assaulted. Mm -hmm. And the more that I told people about this, the more common it seemed to be. Like there were all these people that it turned out I had known who'd had this experience and I couldn't find any word for this experience and there weren't any studies about this experience. So I was, I did this reported piece on it a long time ago and I still get emails all the time from people who are, who say, this happened to me this weekend and I'm so sick and I don't know who I'm supposed to call and I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And I Googled it and your article came up and I don't know who else to ask and I don't know who else to turn to. And so, uh, you know, people who are like in still in very intense experiences of sort of physical and psychological trauma. Um, And they're emailing because they don't know who else to email? Yes. And like the function, like what I wanted for that piece of writing was for it to try to populate a silence or to populate a void, right? Yeah. But one of, and so it's a, it's successful that it's there for someone to find, right? Like I wanted yes. that. And yet it's every single time I get an email like that, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a horrifying, you know, it's horrifying. It's horrifying to, to hear that from people and to yes. feel like I then feel like what I want to do is jump in and be every resource they could need. Yes. Well, while knowing that like, that's so not my expertise, my purview, my job, like that would be a super irresponsible, but of yep. course that's, they're saying, help me. Cause there's no one else to help me. And you want to help them. You know, you want to be there for them in the way that your writing was there for them. Absolutely. And I think there's, and there's a part of me, I don't know if we talked about this last time, but there's a part of me that felt like it's so when people 
bear up enough under what they've been through to tell you. I never want to be the person that doesn't witness. I never want to be the person that doesn't see it. Mm -hmm. Um, Especially if someone's coming to me with an extreme form of this thing happened to me and you're the first person I'm telling. I never want to turn my eyes away. Of course. Because I feel like it took so much for them to say that to me, but also I can't hold it. And, And so I sort of gave myself permission at some point to connect in the moment and and let them know I had seen and I'd understood and then just erase it the minute they walked away I would like tilt my head to the side and imagine dumping it out which is such a weirdo thing to say I realized but it was also just like I can't I I don't know what to do with I don't know what to do with this I don't know what to do with this amount of, of pain and I don't know how to I can't um, fix it, nor do you need it fixed by me, but I also just don't know how to process it. And some part of me has to forget so that I can, so I can move my own body. Did you talk, did you ask for advice from anybody when you were, when you were feeling overwhelmed? You know what I did actually, I did this interview. I didn't ask for advice. What I did was I reached out to Kiese Lehman and, um, Saeed Jones mm-hmm. and I did an interview with them for a for a podcast um where i said i want to talk to you guys about what your experience was because i do feel like also for me and i'm unclear if this happened to you i do feel like there was an, also an expectation of me as a person of color um and a person writing about trauma to to speak in this way and they had both had memoirs out as well mm-hmm. that um and and so hearing from them hearing what they were doing to take care of themselves and also realizing that I was nowhere near alone in this um, and kind of hearing the steps that they had gone through was, or even just kind of having their feelings mirrored back to me um, in the, in that we're talking about what it's like to, um, you know, to have a, a problem that lives in a void. They were, they were the people that were in that void with me and it felt enormously comforting to know they were there. Did you ever learn what to offer yourself in those moments? <laughs> I really am just, no. okay, just wondering, just wondering if there's like something like, I don't know if there's like a comfort pillow we can buy or something. I don't know I don't if there's know. like you something. Know, wow. What a good, no, I don't think that I have, have come up with a hard and fast way of processing the, you know, tough emotions that can be a byproduct of, of writing and publishing about tough things. To be, to be clear, I think that portion of the writing experience is like you, you proportionately around your publication record, you probably have had a lot more to deal with that than I do. Like, I also can just, I will just like skip away from, mm. I'll like go do a story about something that's not difficult at all. Um, and like give myself a long break, you know? Yeah. It has to do again with, you know, when we talk to like Chani Nicholas, I always wonder who heals the healers, right? Yes. Like when your life's work is to reach out and try to, as you were saying, kind of step into that void and explain something that people rarely talk about, who takes care of you after you have been in that void because your body takes things out of that void, right? Yeah. I'm so excited to air the episode that you recorded with Chani because I thought she said, I love that you asked her about that. And I thought her response to it was 
revelatory. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the way she thinks about drawing boundaries for herself yep. about what she wants to take on, what she wants to be kind of letting into her her emotional life. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I thought was so incredible. And I also think a lot about, um, I don't know, people who report on war and violence. And, you know, like yep. the, I also feel one of the reasons why I was sort of embarrassed when when Laura Faye just like said, tell that story, tell that story. It's like, you know, people, people really do that. You know, like people, people really uh, spend years and their lifetimes reporting on traumatic material and working in these spaces and looking at the, and living with this um, day after day after day. And I feel sort of ashamed for having had such a hard time processing what was fundamentally like a, a voluntary and temporary exposure to some of the stuff that I saw. Right. But it's also, I mean, I think I think it's so important to hear about that because I think it's so easy to get desensitized, right? I think so many of the people that do that do that work voluntarily, but in a long-term way, um, and I'm talking about friends of mine that are war reporters or photographers, right. um, I think that they build up a tolerance and then and also say the same thing to themselves that you are saying to yourself which is such a strange thing, which is, okay, but this is voluntary and it's not, and there's always somebody who has it worse. Mm-hmm. And it also just keeps you from understanding this very basic thing, which is, yes, it, it takes a toll on your body. It stays with you. Yeah. Right. Like any level of which you're, in which you're stepping into that, it takes a toll and it stays with you. And, and undoubtedly it also, you know, illuminates things for you and, and makes you hopefully feel more connected to humanity in other ways. But, but both of those things are true. That kind of brings us back to what you were saying about this three years that had that passed between between our last recorded conversation and this one. How are you how are you feeling about sort of the toll that 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 big exercise in carrying other people's weights? Um what it how has that what does that mean to you now? Like where are you at with it? Mm. So I feel like right now I'm writing um fiction as a bloodletting and recovery process. <laughs> um, nice. I am, I'm working on the uh, mystery right now. Who knows if it'll see the light of day, but um, it's about a white passing Indian actress who's murdered. And there are all sorts of um, complicated dynamics that are happening in every chapter. And I'm exploring much of what I saw through the lens of fiction again. Mm-hmm. And the release in that is significant. The The feeling that I have after writing a, a fiction scene in which I have been able to fully conjure the edges of conversations that have sort of wrinkled a part of me is just amazing. It feels so good. It feels comforting to me. It feels like crawling under the right blanket, the safe blanket. To say this is everything I saw and now I need to experience it in terms of fiction and I need to experience it in a way where I control the livers and where I, where I control the levers and where I, I decide when I enter and leave this work. Mm -hmm. It is not with me every single second of every single day. I get to shut it off and go home to my child and my partner and say that world I leave behind us now and this world I am in it with you. Oh, that's so beautiful. Now I want to ask you about the conversations that 
you've been having for thresholds and that I've been oh. eavesdropping on and that we're going to be airing starting next week. Um, what did your, like, how did you choose who you wanted to talk to? The way that I went about thinking of who I wanted to talk to, one of the, one of the things that has sustained me so much in my own life as a, as a person who makes things is talking to other people who make things and specifically people who are community oriented, um, people that create community through their work that rely on community to create the things they create and that put things back into their communities as kind of maps forward or amulets for the ride or whatever it is, you know, whatever you want to think of it as. And so I thought of those people who, whether I know them well or not, some of them I knew well, some of them I know less well, but who have offered to me kind of another piece in this map of how to stay in relationships with other people and find a way forward, which is something I have truly missed about life. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm going to say about, about, about how we've sort of been negotiating humanity for a little while. Mm -hmm. um, so I looked for those people. I looked for the people who, for me, are sustenance and whose work both gives something kind of interesting to the world, but also who who when who when i um when i am in engaging with them and what they put into the world it makes me want to be a different kind of human um and it makes me want to kind of reach out and and find connections with people where so much of me has been taught to walk away taught to walk away yeah i mean it's that's such a that's such a cool rhyme with what we've been talking about already which is figuring out how to reach out and also stay with yourself um, in the ways that you need to, right? That sort of balance of entering and exiting community space, community obligations with your work. Absolutely. While also staying, staying with yourself. Right. So if you have someone um, like Angie Cruz, right, who, we're, who we talk to, um, who is, I would think of as a super connected person in the in the way that she is a connector she finds people she introduces them to each other she you know in her community in the Bronx she does a lot of different kinds of work kind of bringing people together even as she continues to create these beautiful novels and so much of her work is rooted in that or you know we talked to Hari Ganambalu um, and so much of his work is telling us the story of ourselves that we could find absolutely nowhere else and making us laugh about it you know, positioning us in a way where we can both understand ourselves and laugh about the, the parts that in some ways hurt the most. Um, what a gift, right? What a gift to be able to, to give that to people. So yeah, those are the people I picked and it was extremely exciting to, to reach out to them. And it's been kind of fantastic to be able to talk with them. Yeah. It's been really, really fun. I can't, I, it's, it's such a gift to have your, your, your brain on this series for a little bit and we've got more to go. So yes. we're not done yet. Amazing. Threshold is produced by Jordan Kistner and Drew Broussard. Music and editing by Laura Faye Oshawood of Arthur Moon. Our art is by Lorelai Grossman. Special thanks to our hosts at LitHub Radio. 
You can find more about our show, listen to past episodes, and get in touch at our website, thisisthresholds.com. Don't forget to rate and review our show at Apple Podcasts. Thanks. We'll see you next week.